Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Hi, my name's Kimberly, and I'll be doing tonight's reading. Tonight's reading is Titus chapter 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to meet me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenas the lawyer and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. A Christian philanthropist that I really admire is Bono, the lead singer of U2. Uh, Throughout his life, he's had heaps of charity events, uh, but he's also spent time in Africa um, helping out with clean water projects and educational programs. Someone who I really admire is Corey Ten Boom. Corey was a Dutch woman who hid Jews from the Nazis during World War II. She was eventually sent to a concentration camp where both her sister and father died. But after the war, she set up a rehab centre for survivors of concentration camps as well as Dutch people who had worked with Nazis and were now being rejected in society. Tim Costello is currently the Executive Director of MICA Australia, but he has also been the CEO of World Vision, Mayor of St Kilda, a lawyer and a Baptist church minister. I think that Tim is a really good example of how to practically combine your faith with God, with your skills and talents, in order to practically serve the needs across the world. A Christian people in his local community, our nation, and all the way across the world. A Christian philanthropist I've always admired is William Wilberforce. 
a British politician in the late 18th century who sought the welfare of others through his political power. I'm so moved by his commitment to abolish the British slave trade, striving and lobbying for decades before he was ultimately successful. Father Chris Riley is a Christian man best known for establishing his charity, Youth Off the Streets, which assists children without homes, that are addicted to drug and alcohol, that have a juvenile record, or just have no one there to love them. As a parent myself, I understand the time and effort that it goes into looking, for ch- looking after children that are happy, healthy and loved. So for him to be able to dedicate so much of his time and helping hundreds of children that are often resistant to his love and support in the early stages is something that's truly inspirational. Christianity has such a rich history of philanthropists. Individuals committed to the welfare of others. We rightly admire people like William Wilberforce and Corrie Ten Boom, Bono, Chris Riley, Tim Costello. But while the scope, the extent of their impact is incredible and inspiring, I'm not sure we should regard the mindset behind their actions, the heart behind their actions, as all that surprising. Or at least it shouldn't be surprising. It shouldn't be unusual. The mindset these philanthropists demonstrate is the mindset that all followers of Jesus are called to demonstrate. It's the mindset of God himself. As followers of Jesus, we are called to seek the welfare of others. We are called to devote ourselves to the common good. I think we have a really hard teaching for before us today. And so I'm going to pray as we begin. Lord God, please transform us by your word that we can increasingly do good in our society for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's impossible to live in a culture without absorbing some of the practices and values of that culture. And we live in a culture that is overwhelmingly concerned with our individual rights. But Paul doesn't call for Christians to first defend their rights and protect their interests. He doesn't call for me to prioritise myself. No. Our first concern in society should be to demonstrate ourselves as servants in that society. Be subject to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. There are circumstances when it might eventually be necessary to disobey our government. But God's word indicates that we should be willing to sacrifice in order to obey. Not only are we to be obedient, but we are to be considerate of the needs of others in our society. We're to be gentle and fair, peacemakers, not malicious slanderers. Can you imagine how beneficial that kind of conduct might be in a society that was, just hypothetically, increasingly divided, antagonistic and adversarial, seeing people who disagree with us as our enemies? What if 
as followers of Jesus, we stood out because we didn't seek to divide and criticize and demonize, but instead we sought to understand, to speak generously of others and to promote peace. The other quality Paul mentions that should characterize Christians in society is that we be ready to do what is good. Not just be good, but prepared and willing to do good for others in society. In chapter 3, verses 8 and 14, we are to be devoted to doing what is good. It's throughout the whole book, but I think Paul says it most powerfully in chapter 2, verse 14. Christ gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Doing good is supposed to be the hallmark of Christians in society. Do you feel the weight of that? I'm sure feeling it. Doing good is supposed to be the hallmark of a Christian in society. But, easier said than done, right? I find it more appealing to focus on building up an oasis of kindness in our church community, where there can be reciprocity, respect, appreciation, than to also expend a lot of energy out there. Out there can be, can feel at least, pretty unlovely, ungrateful, unchanging. But remember, verse 3, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. If you are a follower of Jesus, that was you. That was me. That was us. And as unlovely, ungrateful, unchanging and undeserving as we were, God did good for us. God did uncommon good for us. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, everything changed. Let me nerd out with you for a moment. I love the Greek word Paul uses for God's love here. It's an uncommon word, but I think you'll recognize it. It's philanthropia. Paul is saying that God is the ultimate philanthropist, devoted to doing good for our welfare. And after that, there is this cascade, this avalanche of words Paul uses to describe what God has done for us. 
And rather than just letting them run over us too fast to really consider, let's slow down for a moment and soak them in. When reading Titus 3, verse 5, he saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. I find this verse quite unbelievable, that we did not have to do anything to deserve his grace. In saying that, I also find this very challenging as a Christian because I ask myself why God chose me and not another non-Christian friend or family member. Paul reminds followers of Jesus that we have been washed. He means that we have been washed clean from our sin. This reminds me of my family who have said to me after returning home from work, you smell like a hospital. It's so nice to then go and have a hot shower, get into clean clothes, Uh, and feel fresh and clean again. Paul says that if we trust in Jesus, we have been rebirthed. Literally, it's a compound word. Again, begin. Again, begin. Because of God's mercy, I get to begin again. I get a completely fresh start. The old is gone. I'm new. Then he says that we've been renewed cleaned out and renovated, totally changed for the better. At the moment we trust in Jesus, we are transformed. God has poured out the Holy Spirit on us generously, which makes me think of an abundance, an overflowing, that fills me up to the point that I also spill over to share God with others. This resonates with me because having the Holy Spirit means that God is with us all of the time. We've been justified, which means Christ has declared us righteous. My life is too full of wrongs for me to ever make myself perfect, but Jesus did it for me. Jesus died in my place for my wrongs, so that in God's perfect justice, we can all be made right with him. Paul concludes by saying that we are made heirs with Christ, that we are children of God, and that we share in Christ's inheritance. This idea that we get to share with Christ's inheritance makes me feel so small and yet so big at the same time. We've been saved, washed, rebirthed, renewed, drenched in the Holy Spirit, justified and made heirs with Christ. Can you just enjoy that for a moment? Can you let those truths transform your heart a little bit more. God has done amazing good for us, uncommon good for us. And that's why God calls us to do good in society. Not to earn our salvation or win his approval. Be a blessing because you've been blessed. Be a philanthropist because you've experienced the philanthropia of God. Serve the common good because God has done uncommon good for you. It's fair to ask at this point what doing good in society might look like in your situation. And the answer is so many things, provided we were seeking the welfare of others. Our Titus team have been reflecting on the idea of doing good over the past couple of weeks. And so I asked them some questions to get some thoughts for us. Firstly, as they've tried to be more mindful of the call to do good, I asked them what opportunities they've had to do good in the last few days. 
So this week I got to buy my friends uh, food for a picnic that we were having. Uh, it was such a small amount of money in the grand scheme of things, but they really appreciated it. And it turns out that we actually had a good chat about God for two hours where I got to answer their questions, so that was awesome. I've had opportunities this week to do good works inside my immediate circles, friends, family and community, and outside those immediate circles in the workplace. Inside my immediate circles, I've had the opportunity to pray for close friends and family going through hard times. I've had opportunities to give my time to local projects and I've had the opportunity to tithe my money to the local church. Inside the workplace, I've been fortunate enough to be able to sit down and listen to people who are experiencing hard times and frustration and pain. Being there to listen to them, care and show empathy goes a long way in their rehabilitation. A physio I know caught COVID last year while overseas on a holiday and he ended up being in a hospital in Uruguay for a very long time recovering. Uh, in a talk recently, he said at the end of it, uh, be nice to your patients, be kind, do good. Uh, and it made me have a think about what I do with my patients every day on a COVID ward. Uh, we're asked to try and limit the number of times that we go in and out of their room. Uh, and so what I try and do uh, is I ring ahead, find out if they want a cup of tea or coffee. Uh, I might deliver a meal as I'm also going through the door. Uh, while I'm in there, I might make their bed or I might assist them to have a shower uh, so I can monitor their oxygen levels. Um, the other thing I might do would be empty a bin because they fill up with all the plastic PPE that we have to wear while we're in the room with the patient. Um, so they're all just little things, um, but they help my patients and they also help the other staff that I work with. Next, I ask them to honestly reflect and consider what might get in the way of them serving the common good sometimes. I've been struggling to find opportunities to do good. My life currently is a cycle of work, study, relaxation and sleep, and never do I pencil out or intentionally set aside time to do good. However, Titus 3 has challenged me to seek out opportunities and devote myself to good as it is profitable for everyone. There are three things that stop me doing good things. One, I'm concerned about what other people think of me. Two, that it won't benefit me. Or three, the belief that I can't help the situation. All of these are self-serving. They become excuses and justifications in my head that allow me to think that I'm doing the right thing for everyone involved. I've struggled at times with wanting to do good to help the needy, but being aware that my age and my gender make me more vulnerable and unable to always do the good that I see a need for. So I may not stop and help someone whose car has broken down on a rainy night. But that's why partnership within the church to serve our community is so important. I may not be able to do those things, but someone else can. And there are ways that I and other young women can serve and minister to people in ways that others can't, like supporting young mums or ministering to women who have suffered abuse. As a church, we can partner with one another to be a blessing to others by actively seeking to do the good that God has called us to do. I think busyness Concern over not being able to make an impact and a sense of vulnerability probably hinders a lot of us from doing good. 
which is why I love Sarah's thoughts on partnering with others. Imagine the impact we could have together that we couldn't have on our own. In the documentary For the Love of God, I was really struck with how the early church, as an expression of their faith, provided charity for the needy without expecting anything in return. Their insistence on caring for the poor transformed the ancient world. I loved Thanksgiving Day Sunday last year when we got to see how generous people were with their finances in order to be a blessing to our networks and our neighbours. People gave over and beyond targets for COVID relief in Kenya and Peru to partner with our link missionaries there in providing practical support to meet a very real need for people who we will likely never meet. When my girls were little, we were part of the St Matthews playgroup um, and it was a, a wonderful opportunity to reach out to other families in our community to get to know them and to support them through what for many was a challenging time um, of sleepless nights and sometimes health concerns for their children. As much as I sincerely admire the philanthropists we heard about earlier, I don't think individual do-gooders is what Paul has in mind in this chapter. Nor do I think William Wilberforce and co. would want us to forget the teams that they partnered with. Instead, Paul is addressing churches of people. Serve the common good together. Because God has done uncommon good for us. Have we at St. Matt's grasped this vision from Titus? If St. Matt's was to close down tomorrow, would the people in our suburb notice? Would they feel a loss? That question's been haunting me and I hope it haunts you a little bit too. If we have put our trust in Jesus, then we have been saved, washed, rebirthed, renewed, drenched in the Holy Spirit, justified and made heirs with Christ Jesus himself. We have been so extraordinarily blessed. So be a blessing. Serve the common good because God has done uncommon good for us. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.